the installment of the Sports Rap Podcast. It's your boy D in the building. Yes, sir. Your boy Bald in the building. In the building. So, listen, Chuck Bolger, we're going to get right into it. And I know we said we were going to talk about the NFL Pro Act, the new Pro Act. And we'll get to that. But while it's right at the top of our minds, on the top of my head, on the tip of my tongue, like I mentioned, we have the men's national championship game tonight between Baylor and Gonzaga. Something that heading into the tournament uh, was, I believe, expected. Something that the fans were anxious to see. And ironically, the last time that Baylor lost a tournament game, it was to Gonzaga. So it's going to be a great game tonight. Um, you saw the unity, the brotherhood of that Baylor team, the strength and their dedication and focus on detail all throughout the tournament. Excuse me, and especially in that uh, Final Four game. You look, excuse me. You look at Gonzaga, who are writing a storybook season still undefeated with one game left to go down history as the only team I believe to go completely undefeated regular season and through through the tournament so we will definitely see how that plays out Um, again on the women's side which is where we want to go so Chuck I hope you're here with us um you know, I saw your comment after this game, and I want to talk a little bit about both of the games, Stanford's games in the Final Four, and then their game in the championship game. Uh, very interesting things unfolded at the ends of both of those games. Uh, also, shout outs to Dawn Staley. And I think her last name is uh, her name is Adia Baines, mm-hmm. the head coach of Arizona. Two African American women leading teams to the Final Four. It would have been beautiful if they ended up playing each other for the championship game. Yeah. But deep down inside, you know us. You know where we go. I don't think they wanted that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. Do you know these are my thoughts and my thoughts only. I think that might have been just a bit too much. What I say about having them for glasses. Absolutely, on there. I think that might have been a little bit too much for them, and you know, to make it to compound it a little bit more, playing devil's advocate again, the stars of both of those African American head coach teams are African American girls. Mm-hmm. So. Let's get off of that. Now, let's go back to Final Four game, Stanford, South Carolina. Great game as far as just watching a women's tournament game, women's basketball. Great game. You can see how the talent level um, within the women's ranks is increasing, Mm -hmm. which is, again, why I feel like Although we're talking, Joey Myers talking about the pros, which get fed from the college ranks, which is why I feel like there needs to be some more stuff done. Also, like you said, Barley, some more stuff done 
for these women, right. these young women and these women. But people will kind of debate and say South Carolina still had a chance to win it at the end. Boston missed the layup. Yeah, yeah. But as far as basketball, the game within the game, that happens sometimes. It, it, it happens. Um, it, it's a lot of avenues you can look at in that situation where that layup was missed. Mm-hmm. But a few plays, few plays prior to that, there was a kick the ball situation that was not called, which would have given the ball back to South Carolina. And I don't remember the score exactly at that point, but I think they could have either either tied or taken the league lead if they had scored, if that had been called the turnover on them. As they progressed on to get back into the game, <clears throat> it was a steal in transition. South Carolina got South Carolina player got pushed in the back. There was no call. And then play just proceeded. So again, like I say, as a coach and a referee, I feel some type of way about those missed calls. And I understand um the debate that can come with that. But I also take in mind that we've been talking about poor officiating across the world of sports for a couple years now. Mm-hmm. So I'm not as disturbed as some people are. I'm not going to say I understand it because I don't. I'm going to say I accept it because it's what we've been going through for the past couple of years. And again, just keep in mind, folks, I accept it, but it doesn't mean that I have to like it. It doesn't mean I have to agree with it, which I don't. But I accept it because it's what I've seen in a, in a sad way and lack of a better word on the bad end, that consistency throughout. Over it's, it's across sports for uh, several years now. So, like I said, I accept it, but I'm not saying it's right. I don't agree with it, and also I do not accept it. Well, you're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Because what's supposed to be happening is, with all the new imagery, intel, with all the new ways to get calls right, mm-hmm. it should not still be happening. Right. It shouldn't be. There shouldn't right. be. There should be certain blatant calls. Yeah. Like I get it. You know, refs. If they miss a call, they automatically feel like I owe that coach one. I get. We all know that. Mm-hmm. That comes with the territory. But why have the review if you're not going to use it? Right. You know. Now we know that at a specific time in the game, it can be an officiator's review and right. a coach's review, and you know mm-hmm. you could lose the time. You know what I'm saying? Like we know all this stuff is in in place. Right. But we're talking about when games are coming down to the last three, four possessions. Mm-hmm. Now you got to look at how you've been calling the game. Right. You know, if you've you been know. allowing people to be hey. physical. And, and here's here's the funny thing. Not just a real mm-hmm. quick ball, then you can finish. When we came up, 
We came up with two referees. Mm-hmm. So there was some chatter about improving the flow of games and the flow of sports. And we're talking about basketball in particular right, right. now. So they added another referee. Right. So you added another set of eyes. So now you've got six eyes instead of four eyes, mm-hmm. which was supposed to make things better. Right. Total opposite. It, yeah, it's gotten worse. It's almost like one ref is just going to rely on that, on that ref. And he don't, like, refs have, you know, mm-hmm. for people that don't, understand the concept of refing and where refs are at the time. You're using that L. Mm-hmm. You know, so if this ref is in the baseline corner, left baseline corner, mm-hmm. well, he has the sideline and the baseline. Right. This ref up top, he has half court, sideline. Mm-hmm. But now you add another ref in and, and technically, these two refs down here are, are should be mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Bang, it, it bang, gives you, and he should take yeah. the half court. He should be able to see the backside stuff right. underneath. The, and, and yeah, yeah and, and this is why, speaking from a referee's um, mm-hmm. perspective, this is why so many coaches get upset with a lot of calls. Because now that you have that third referee, and like Baldy just mentioned to you, baseline, sideline, sideline, half court, mm-hmm. is what we grew up on. Okay? Now you have that idea. And from a coach's standpoint, you have that third referee. So now you have that ideal basketball situation. Right. When you talk about basketball, if you talk to anybody that has any type of basketball IQ, they will tell you, and it comes from the Phil Jackson school and his mentor, that triangle. Mm -hmm. Like the LA Lakers accentuated it and called it the triangle offense. But if you look at basketball and Baldy knows this as a coach and a player, your ideal running of a basketball play of an offense is that triangle. Mm-hmm. So now you have that very similar concept as far as the referees. Right, right. And if you look at the games, like Baldy we tells everybody, watch the game without the sound on and look at what's going on physically. Mm-hmm. When you look at these referees, they're always in the triangle. And you will have one that's on the baseline, one to be on the sideline, and you would ideally think that the other one might be at half court or whatever. Mm-hmm. Nah, he's yeah. near that hash, mark, that hash mark, depending yeah. on where his cross-site counterpart mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. So they have that triangle. Mm-hmm. So that widens your angle mm-hmm. at every position. Right. You know, as far as just being a baseline ref, I got to watch the three three seconds and, and this and that. And I got to watch that corner mm-hmm. three. You know, my counter and that sometimes that outside three, if I'm on the left and my other count with two refs, Mother counterpart is on the right. So that high wing three, I got to watch that too. Where my counterpart has that my right sideline mm-hmm. and the half court line half court. going into that, right. which makes it a little bit more difficult mm-hmm. because in that instance, whoever's on that baseline, whatever side you're on, you ideally have that whole baseline. Right, right. And your partner has that sideline and the outside yeah. half court. So you have that entire baseline and to your immediate left or your to immediate right, that sideline. Mm-hmm. Now you add that third person in where you've got a baseline ref where all I have to worry about is the baseline and everything mm-hmm. in the paint. I've got my counterpart out to my right or to my left mm-hmm. that's going to cover looking into the paint, the mid-range, and that half court. You kind of split that half court line in half. Yeah, I was about to say that. 
because then you have another one that might, depending on the position, it might be at about the hash mark, Mm -hmm. but he still has what's right in front of him at the three-point line and half of that half-court line Mm -hmm. or that mid-court line. So when I think about that and I'll think back to that first play I talked about against South Carolina with the kick ball, the commentators saw it. And ideally now, the commentators are up in the booth. Mm-hmm. So they're watching it in game speed, and then, but they get the immediate replays. But if they see it, there's no way you can justify or tell me that the referee didn't see it right there on the same playing mm-hmm. floor. Listen, as obvious as it is, you have NBA refs who will let a player take five and four steps. The whole arena seeing it. And they don't see it. So when we see plays like this happen, mm-hmm. it's still by way of human fault, yep. which is natural. Mm-hmm. But if you have ways to eliminate these mm-hmm. these types of issues, Absolutely. it improves officiating, right. it improves the game, it, impu- it improves the purity of the game. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't hold it to what the outcome might be. Right. You know what I'm saying? And if and if you can kind of do away with that, then the game of basketball in its purest you form, you're getting it in yeah. its purest form. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and and just so people will understand a little, maybe maybe a little bit better, moving on to that second play where the push in the back was in transition, that third referee was added as a trail. Because naturally, the participating athletes are more than likely a little bit quicker than the referees. So sometimes the referees kind of play a little catch-up in Mm -hmm. that trail. So now you add that third one because you got to lead. Once the ball looks like it's changing possession, referee mantra, you starting that step. You're taking that step to go so you can get to your spot. Because if you're the lead, you got to get to that baseline. Now you have a ref in the middle, and again, folks, look, think about it. It's still that triangle. It is. It's, it's still a triangle. What they call the ice cream. Yeah, cone it's still here. a triangle. It's still so there. you got the mid-range referee that's actually that's more than likely on the action if it's in transition at the three-point line and moving closer to the mid-court line. And then you got that other baseline ref that's the trailer. Yeah. That should have seen that push. And, and, and what we're saying is, all these things are put in place to improve it, mm-hmm. to minimize human error. Yep. And here we got situations where it's like, dang. Yeah. It's like, wait. Well, wait, then, what, what, what we need? Heck? Four reps? Mm-hmm. We, yeah. we got a thousand cameras. Yep. What yep. we need? Four reps? And, and yeah, it, it's just, like you said, it, it gets to the point where, you know, the average Joe, like we like to say, for lack of a better phrase, you may not see it mm-hmm. in real time. And, you know, if you're watching it on TV, they'll start talking about it. The commentators will bring it up, and you'll get the replay, and then they slow it down. You see it. But as a referee, you are right there at the action. Right there at the action. Mm-hmm. And you have to be mindful of what you're seeing. And you've got to take credit for what you're saying. And, folks, just so you know, as a refereeing unit, 
like Baldy mentioned, the replay and the review, you can talk to your partners. Right. Right. Where if I see something that you should have called and you didn't call it, Mm-hmm. If I don't stop it or if it's a situation where, where I shouldn't really stop it, the first moment I get, look, ball, that last play, there's a little nudge in the back. Mm-hmm. Just keep your eyes open for that. Yeah. And people, you have to understand the situations where the line of sight is your call. So, again, if I'm that trail ref and I'm right there on it and I miss that push, that my counterpart across the, across the lane really can't call make that call. Because technically he's out of position, and even though he might see it. That's what drives coaches crazy. He's out of position. That's what and drives coaches crazy. That drives coaches crazy. But the good coaches understand: in the moment of the game, it's going to drive me crazy. Mm-hmm. But after the fact, I know that if that opposite side referee calls it, and it goes against my team, the first chance I get. I'm giving that referee a piece of my mind. Mm-hmm. But that's natural. Let me just say that because I've coached and I referee. So that's natural. But like I said, in that moment, it's like, yo, if I'm standing on the same side you saw and I saw it, I know you saw it. Mm-hmm. And I damn sure know your counterpart saw it. Most definitely. You know, so like I say, on the opposite side, you can't really make that call. And this kind of alludes to what Baldy said. That's where you kind of get to affecting the outcome mm-hmm. of the game. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you have to get to your partner and say, look, last play transition it was a push in the back. Mm-hmm. I saw it on the opposite side. What was you looking at? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, that was a call you were supposed to make. And if you watch, like, NBA games now, you see a lot of players not sometimes – when calls get made, they'll look at the ref and talk to the ref, and they say, oh, dude, how you call that? You wasn't even on that side. Mm-hmm. Gives you a better understanding of what they're referring to when they say that yeah, kind of stuff. Mean. That's what they mean. And so, in my opinion, and no discredit to Stanford, the overall game was good. They just mm-hmm. got a little bit of help down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the final game, late in the game again, it was a kickball situation. Yep. Ended up being a turnover. Just by chance and a technicality, the time on the clock, the review was not available. Mm-hmm. Had to be two minutes and under. Mm-hmm. It was two minutes, three seconds when that happened. That particular non-call could have changed the game. And the difference in what we were talking about with the first game, that call could have changed the game, but that call was the right call. Yeah. Or it was the wrong call that was made, but under review, it would have been overturned right. to the right call. Right. And that's what I mean. It would have changed. It might have changed the game. So you got your, if it happens, or you got your right side of it and you got your wrong side of it. Not so much wrong. So you got one side of the fence and you got the other side of the fence. And, and, and it's hard to compare the two because, like I said, that second call, just by chance, it wasn't 
the right technically time frame where they could review it. Because like Brother said, if you got the review, why why not? Why don't you use it? Um, that time frame, those three seconds, and we saw how that game played out. Came down to five seconds. So you figure three seconds, let's put them together. Five seconds decided the game. You go back to those other three seconds, so we had eight seconds. If you overturn that call, you still arguably have four seconds that could decide right. that game, which is enough time to do what they did, mm-hmm. you know. But it's um, it's hard to put it in words and have people fully understand it because to the naked eye and to, again, the average Joe, it's just going to be, oh, it was a missed call. They, they, they robbed him. It was a missed call. They got robbed. But again, being a legit basketball coach and referee, both teams still had an opportunity to win the game mm-hmm. with everything that went on. And like I'm saying, we're sitting here and we're not condoning the bad calls. We're trying to break it down for you and un- let you give you an understanding of how those entire situations play out. But both teams still had a chance to win those games. Just didn't happen. It just wasn't their day. So on the opposite end of the refereeing, we moved to the UCLA-Gonzaga game. Game ends up going into overtime. Right. Down the stretch, the guard from UCLA gets the little floater. He misses it, gets his own rebound, he gets the put back. They inbound the ball, and it's been somewhat joked about on the internet, the referee in that game that called that three-point shot with his dramatics, if you will. But that's what we are trying to tell you people when, as a referee, you still have to know time situation on the court that referee was on point mm-hmm. the pass came in immediately after like almost after the first touch of the ball his arm went up to signal a three because he knew a three was coming everybody in the mm-hmm. building knew a desperation shot was yeah. coming we knew that so on point he immediately put his arm up shot goes in and he emphatically Counts it. It's three-pointer, game over. Mm-hmm. That's the type of referee. And that is like an ideal situation of when you think about adding that third referee, where you want to go, how it was supposed to be improved. Because mm-hmm. if you think about that situation, if you only got two refs, that second ref might be ahead. Well, he's going to be trailing. Yeah, he's going to be. You gotta, well, not really trailing because it, it was a made um, basket. Yeah, it was a made basket. So he's so cheating he's a little bit. So he's still yeah. trailing. And then you got your back. You got, got your, your back. You got your so back. He, so technically, that trail ref is looking at the clock more so than the feet the of day. that shooter. Or a possible. He, listen, he's looking at that clock more than he's looking at a possible foul on the player. Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. weird because, you know, when people want, they get, you get on a ref, but until mm-hmm. you've done it, you don't understand that you got to have like a peripheral view of what this clock is doing and what's in front of you with the player. If he, if he walks with the ball, 
if he's foul on the play. Mm-hmm. All the, but at the same time, it's almost like a point guard. You got an internal clock yep. in your mind, and you're able to still kind of watch this play because it's right. going to be reviewed anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? But the fact that that particular ref, he was ahead of it. He was mm-hmm. he was on it. Yeah. He was on the play. And, I mean, that that's the type of skill set you want refs to have. Right. You wish all three could have it. Right. Yeah, but, but sometimes it's, it's you, that's why they have the one ref that that normally the other two allude to. He's the mm-hmm. lead rep, more right. so your senior yeah. referee. Yeah, like in the NBA, they call it the crew chief yeah, or whatever. Yeah, the crew chief. Yeah. He's been around. He, he's seen mm-hmm. a million games. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows how this plans out. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, I mean, you know, we can, we can talk about, you know, how UCLA won that game. Mm-hmm. But it always comes back to the numbers. Yeah. yeah, that shot might have determined the outcome. But as we always say, the meat and potatoes of the game, what was going on with, uh, with the assists during the game, the turnovers during the game, the offensive rebound, mm-hmm. the defensive rebound, those yeah. are possessions. Yeah. You can't get them possessions yeah. back. Like like David Lyons mentioned when I posted, you know, um, shout out to David Lyons. Big Dave. I don't need coach. Uh, he mentioned that they still had a chance to win. And he was mm-hmm. in reference to the South Carolina game. And that's part of, like, what Baldy just mentioned. They still had a chance. Still had an opportunity. You know, they missed a shot in the paint. And us basketball people, we know that she, she missed the bunny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She missed the bunny. And like I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of avenues that you can look at and debate this. And they got there, and I'm not going to say the moment got to her because well-coached by Dawn Staley. So these girls have decent, if not better, basketball IQs. Mm -hmm. She just short-armed it. Yeah, that's all. Because it hit the front of the rim. And like I said, I won't say the moment got to her. I just saw her looking ahead of of that play. Mm -hmm. She looked at it as, well, I'm going to drop this and we win. We go to the championship. And, ah, I just shortchanged it. Think about the play that led to the rebound. Right. Because the play that led to the rebound, when when she got on the break and she's on her left hand. Mm Mm-hmm. She kind of did a Euro mm-hmm. out. <clears throat> she never came back in. So when she went out, she jumped, and she's still floating forward. Yeah. And that's why I came off the glass so much. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. It's just the angle. Yeah. Because if her angle was, I'm going to attack this basket, <laughs> make her foul me. There's no need for that rebound. foul me. Right, well, I'm going to get this layup. Or I'm going to get this layup. Or I'm going to get both. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get this layup and you're going to foul me. Right. I guarantee you that's what's going through her head. Mm-hmm. It ain't it ain't the missed basket. Yeah. It was the one before it. Now, that missed basket will drive you crazy for the oh, rest yeah, of your life. Yeah, it will. You're right under the rim. you right there, yeah. But that attack basket, that one, mm-hmm. you, you had her on her heels. Yep. Go right at her. Yep. Because even if she stops right now, she ain't going to be able. It's a bang, it's, bang yeah, play. She can't react. You're going to get the call. Yeah. You know what I mean? Earn that from yep. the Like strike. you said, worst case scenario, you're going to get two free throws. Yeah. If you yeah. don't get the bucket and the conventional three or just the bucket, 
your worst case scenario, you're going to get, you're get the to two the free throws. Or the old fashioned way. And yeah. at that point, I think Stanford would have been out of timeouts, mm -hmm. so they couldn't advance the ball. Mm -hmm. So now they would have had to go the length of the court, and, might and maybe one and a little bit of change yeah, as far as seconds, three, one four, one point which three, is one very four. very difficult. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, you have to make a pass damn near from that baseline to half court. Because mm -hmm. we all know the clock doesn't start or it's not supposed to start until somebody touches it. That's a lot of air. But that's a lot of, it's a lot of air and it's a lot of defense, mm -hmm. a lot of bodies in that air, in mm -hmm. that space. That makes that pass even more difficult. Unlike the men's game where basketball IQ and attention to detail. Get it out the net, get it in quick, let's go. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that wouldn't have been the same situation, but like Baldy said, go devil's advocate again, worst case scenario, she shoots the two free throws, she makes the two free throws. So it's a dead ball situation. Yeah. So now the defense has a chance to set up, mm -hmm. look and see what you're doing, and then you got that air mm -hmm. in between. Unlike a regular basket, right. I can snatch it and go. Right. But you got to be on the same page. It's like Baldy said, you got to have a guard that yeah. understands yeah. Yeah. what's going on. So, again, I, I'm, listen. I was entertained. I was entertained out of what. Yeah, like I, I like was getting ready to say. Yeah, this, like it, the it final was, eight in you itself know, was like, like we're here and we're breaking down stuff for you, just so you see and understand mm -hmm. um, the little intricacies of the game and the referee and the situations and stuff like that. But overall, I was thoroughly entertained. Oh, most definitely. With the women's game, uh, shout out to my guy. I think the narrow. I'm sure you were very happy uh, when UConn lost to Arizona. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of other people were excited when UConn lost to Arizona. Yeah. And, again, I'm just, you know, like I said, as a basketball fan, I was happy for all of those young ladies, especially the young ladies at Arizona and the young ladies at South Carolina because of their coaches. Mm-hmm. One who I'm very familiar with in Dawn Staley. The other one I'm not familiar with. But to have these African-American women in these positions to teach and mentor these young black female athletes mm -hmm. is unprecedented for that stage. Yeah. She's got a heck of a story, too. Yeah, for, for that stage. I, I, it is, I, yeah. it is very I unprecedented, man. In NFL, too. Who's that? The coach of Arizona? Yeah. Yeah, see? So it's a lot of history there, and that's why I was appreciative of the fact that they both played, yeah. were able to yeah. coach in the Final Four. Like I said, I would it would have really topped me off and made me love it even more. Not that I didn't love it if they both yeah. had got to the final. But, again, we all know once it had gotten to that point, they both can't win. Yeah. So I would have been a little bit biased. If they had been there play, I would have been a little bit biased mm -hmm. because of the homegirl, hometown hero, Dawn Staley. Most but no, no regrets in cheering for them to it all. Uh, I also was not, I'm going to say, um, that concerned or impressed with UConn. And again, it's just, just that thing where you kind of get tired of seeing same team mm -hmm. year in and year out. That's why I was super excited last year, or was the year before that, when Dawn and them stopped that streak. Mm -hmm. 
and that wasn't any bias or anything like that um, as far as doing and coaching. That was just a superb coaching job and beating a team that had been on a run, a crazy run for a long time. And just to let them know that, look, it's people in the in your rearview window. Almost done. You know, y'all, y'all, y'all had y'all run, and y'all still good, very mm-hmm. good, but it's more people in that rearview mirror now, you know. And for it to be, for it to have been an African-American female to beat Gino was also extremely impressive. And think about it. And, and you know, we look at it, I think we can kind of, like, scale it from men's basketball to women's basketball. But even if, in women's basketball, UConn normally is getting the best female athletes mm-hmm. to their school. Absolutely. When you look at men's basketball, you can be a top-tier team if you want. We got some crazy dogs over here, too. The athleticism, it separates the conversation. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. Because that's why I told you a long time ago, well, my son I always made him watch women's women's basketball. Mm-hmm. Because it makes no sense to watch men's basketball. Not saying that they don't, there's no X's and O's. There's a lot of X's and O's. But there's a there's an athletic element that mm-hmm. exists that can transcend whatever defense you put in front of you. Right. That's why a lot of times they say great offense will be good defense any day. Mm-hmm. In college, women's college basketball, these X's and O's, bruh, they got to be this backdoor cut, this handoff cut, like this this dump pass that I got to dump over top, mm-hmm. it got to be just right. Because yeah. normally the athleticism mm-hmm. is equal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's kind of crazy yeah. that how... When Dawn Staley stopped that run, the t- the caliber of girls that she had, women that she had on her team, they was dogs like her. Yep. You know what I mean? And she she turned that whole program around, man. Completely. You know what I mean? Completely. Like, they the ticket right now. I mean, she coached the reigning WNBA's MVP. They the ticket right now. If you are a if you're a woman, a young lady, aspiring. To really get to the next level. That's top on your list, if not number South one. South Carolina got to be top on your list. Now, we know UConn is there. Yeah. They always Stanford there. is there you because know, of Stanford's their coach there. or whatever. They Tennessee. But South Carolina is right there. South Carolina. Top three, at worst, top five. Just because Dawn Staley. Yep. Because of how she coaches. Mm-hmm. Man, it's crazy, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, like, and, and you know, another another underlying fact in that whole situation, as far as um, watching the women's game, is the women try harder. Oh yeah. Like Baldy said, the athleticism oh, yeah, the with effort. the men, the they get that kind of ego where, oh, you can shoot that jump shot, but I got a forty-seven inch vertical. I'm gonna get a piece of that mm-hmm. if I really try. I'm gonna get a piece of that. It's gonna sound you know? crazy. It's different. And you and I both played ball, and we played on teams. Mm-hmm. There's always, you know, some, some, some beef between teammates. There's always going to be, yeah. always. It's not that you don't see it in women's basketball. It's there. The element's there. It's always right. going to be there. But there's so much camaraderie 
in women's basketball mm -hmm. that you don't get in men's basketball. You can yeah. see the, the energy is different amongst mm -hmm. the women, amongst yeah. them being true teammates. Yep. Like they feel like we for life in this joint. Mm -hmm. Not saying that it doesn't it doesn't function in men's basketball. I see it more often in women's basketball yeah. than I do in, in men's. men's. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And that's normally an element you only see in football. Right. It's rare yeah. that you get it in basketball, basketball, but you get it all the time in women's basketball. Mm -hmm. That's why I watch that joint. I'm like, yeah. I watch it because that, that mid-range pull-up is prevalent. Yep. Yep. It's prevalent. Like, yep. when it's a lot of mid-range jump and shots. They everybody to, ain't dunking all over about, the place. That's why I say that. And they have to compensate you know more because they're – as far as the size and stature, is totally different. It's and big, it's still it's a, a league it's a, for little guards. Yeah, it's a big disparity there. Kind yeah. of women's basketball is still, still a league, a league for, little for little guards. So I'd like to see mm -hmm. like a like a point guard control the environment because that's still, Absolutely. to me, that's what I always look for because that's what, that, you know, yep. that's, I was a guard. You yep. know what I mean? So when I look, I'm like, yo, you control that joint like the tempo and everything. Like mm -hmm. I'm seeing stuff. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not seeing any men's basketball. I ain't seeing it. And bring it back. And maybe I'm getting maybe last night versus just made me a little nostalgic. Maybe Isaiah Thomas can help with that since he's trying to get back in the league. I want the old stuff back, man. We're gonna take another break. When we come back, we're gonna talk some Sixers, and we're gonna get to a couple other things. Maybe we might even talk about a little bit of the Paul Pierce situation. But we definitely gonna have to talk some Sixers before we go. Great dialogue today. Chuck Bolger, I hope you were tuned in. You didn't chime in. I hope you tuned in and you got this. If not, you know where to find it. Get it up. Stay tuned, folks. We will return in just a few seconds. Sports Rap Podcast right here on Heat 100 Radio. Heat100radio.com. If you go to the description in the group, Sports Rap Podcast, you can get the link. Um, the link will direct you to a sign-up uh, pop-up. Make sure you sign up. Fill out your information so you can stay in tune with everything Sports Rap and Heat 100. So, before we get into uh, the Sixers talk, I want to backtrack a little bit, like I mentioned. And I want to get to what we joked about a little bit. This Deshaun Watson situation uh, in Houston. My partner, as he always does, brings very intelligent and very pertinent insight to the dialogue. One of the first things he mentioned was the situation with the Caucasian football player mm -hmm. who abused his girlfriend. Yep. There's written documentation as evidence. There are photo. There's photo documentation evidence, and the majority of the people that have heard and expressed interest or expressed comments about the Deshaun Watson situation, like Baldy said, don't even know that young man's name. All in all, that situation seems to be or have been swept under the rug. So then we move on to Houston. And like I mentioned in the news and updates in the open, there's only one criminal suit. So all these other suits, are, all these other suits are civil. So let's just play with the numbers a little bit. I said I think the numbers up to 21 alleged cases. So you got one that's actually criminal or alleged actually criminal. So you got 20 others that 
could potentially be civil. But my partner also brought up that there are some massage therapists that may be implicated or may not be implicated that have come to the defense of Deshaun Watson and have stated that when they had encounters with him, he was nothing but, let's say, the consummate professional. See, they worked with him over 130 times in five years, and he's never, ever, he's never given Mm -hmm. them an uncomfortable moment. Right. So we backtracked a little bit, and we joked about it. We what's going on in Houston? We backtracked a little bit. J.J. Watt wanted out of Houston. J.J. Mm-hmm. Watt, that situation was handled as quickly as it could. He was bought out, he was released, and signed with another team. Deshaun Watson, apparently for whatever reason, has tired of that situation, um, is not comfortable or is not believing in the brass there with progression of the team. He he feels like they're going backwards instead of forwards. So he has asked for a trade. Okay, fine. Uh, Houston was adamant at the very beginning in saying that they were not going to trade him. Sean Watson comes back and says, well, I'm not playing, which he has that right. I'm not playing. Y'all don't want to trade me, then I'm not going to play. Whatever. Then... There was a lot of back and forth for a few weeks. And then all of a sudden, these alleged misconduct acts pop up. And as the weeks progress, they just pile them on, pile them on, pile them on. Out of nowhere. To the extent where they are, like we said, allegedly up to 21. Out of nowhere. If this, in my opinion, was truly going on, knowing Deshaun Jackson is an African-American quarterback, remembering what my partner mentioned to you about us as African-Americans or as African-American athletes wearing the goggles, if this had happened, truly, truly happened, the way that they are portraying that these things happened, it wouldn't have taken this long for it to come out. He is. Yeah, I mean, just before you finish, but I mean, mm-hmm. we can go back as far and say, talk about the Iverson practice ran again, mm-hmm. which had really no bearing on this conversation, just in the sakes that that happened, nothing bad. He just was a little upset. He was going through something else, and he was like, yo, y'all sitting here talking about practice? Like, we talk, we had a game. Y'all talking about practice. That went viral in a matter of minutes. Without all the, without all the context. Without all the context, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So now you have this type of situation where deep down inside we know or we can say, if this is some good content, this would have been out two years ago. Yeah, and listen, and I'm not going to ever devalue the privacy of a victim. Right. Because a lot of times people that are victims are not comfortable. Carlos, what's going on? Are not comfortable putting it out there, fearing, fearing to lose their job, you know, for whatever mm-hmm. reason. They may or may not. Now, I don't know if the board did it. Right. 
You know what I mean? And we'll probably never know. I have no idea. Here's what I do know. What I do know is what has presented to us is a serial groper, yeah. a serial sexual harasser. Mm-hmm. That's what's being presented to us. Right. He's got he got issues over twenty and thirty women coming along. Yeah. He's a serial yeah. harassment guy. Right. And, and and you know just to touch that what you just said, we all know what it means to be a serial. That means over an extended period mm-hmm. of time. So I can't believe that this many alleged cases have popped up within, let's say, a month, two months since mm-hmm. he requested for a trade. Mm-hmm. It's, you can't sell me that that all this happened. Right. You can't sell me that this this happened in that two month time frame with twenty something alleged incidents. He's off season, and it was never mentioned until he <laughs> asked this, for a trip. How about this? What's how up, Miriam Hans? How about this? Memphis. Let's say. He did do it, Houston Texans. Mm-hmm. Is this something that you kept in the vault just in case he became disgruntled? Mm-hmm. So if it is something you had in the vault, and this is who he was, well, the black eyes on you because you right. knew he was a serial harasser. Right. So you mean to tell me these people came to you or to your organization to c- complain about one of your guys? Over the course of five years, four years, three years, two years, last year, last month, they mm-hmm. came to you all these years, and you just said, well, we'll just deal with it. We'll we'll hide it. And right. then the minute that this man seems like he's disgruntled, mm-hmm. you you go pull out the briefcase of all the stuff that he, he supposedly did? Oh. Hey. So in reality, you are the cultivators of his behavior. So if he did it one time and somebody came to you, it should have been dealt with then. But now you're telling me you allow 18 of them? Mm-hmm. You saying all these complaints just popped up and it's kind of crazy that it just popped up when, yep. he, when he said he no longer wanted to be there? So y'all had this in the vault? Yeah. Who had it in the vault? Mm-hmm. Was the president? Was the general manager? Who had it in the vault? Where did it come from? Absolutely. Because something like that can't just come out of thin air. You got a trail of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Come on, man. Like and, and there's no way that all of these instances happen in this short period of time or that you knew about these instances in this short period of time. I mean, it, it, it's it's real life. But just a comparison, like I watch Law & Order. I watch all the Law & Orders, criminal mm-hmm. shows, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You see, when they get a serial case and they talk about, yeah, we need help, we need tips or whatever, whatever, you see the plethora of people that come in and say, well, this is what I heard and this is what I heard. Keyword, what I heard. What you heard. And you always get, and then you got to weed through all of that. So like Baldy said, if that's the case and y'all held on to it, that means means y'all enabled it, one, and two, it's something else that's been going on there that y'all didn't want to own up to to build up to him finally saying, oh, I want to be traded. Mm-hmm. And where, where, where are all the paperwork of those women that complain to the organization? Where's your complaint paperwork, right? Mm-hmm. 
and your class action lawsuit against a corporation or against a team right. that had you working in a hostile environment. Yeah. So if these things, where's your paperwork on them? Right. Okay, they got the paperwork on him. Mm-hmm. Where's your paperwork, paperwork on them? Yep. Because your lawyers supposed been sending stuff to the Houston Texans saying that they're getting sued and, and my client X, Y, and Z is in a class action lawsuit against the Houston Texans. Where's well, that paperwork at? Yeah. Or is all these just accusation mm-hmm. and and primed, mm-hmm. primed uh, suspects yeah. that you just want to bring to the table? Or could it be? You coerced yeah, suspects. Or could it be he asking for a trade? We still owe him money. So, yeah, we may eventually get around to trading him, but we ain't going to pay him that money. We're going to take that money and get it back some kind of way. You know it's going to come. Yeah, we got to get that money back in some kind of way. So, all right, let's let's do this. And we can pay these chicks where we can go back to them and say, look, we paid you four. We paid you three mil. Look, we need about a mil and a half of that back. Listen, this country, (laughs) in a nutshell, not to be black and white, but we live in a black and white environment. Absolutely. And what we do actually know is this country has no problem we're crucifying any athlete for the betterment of their dollar. Yep. We know it. We've seen it. Back to what Jason Carson told us years ago. Controlling the narrative. It's all it boils, that's what it, it boils down to. That's what it comes to. I mean, you look to. at it in all the situations. In this situation. You look at it in the Colin Kaepernick situation. You know? You look at it small, sl- slightly in the Deshaun Jackson mm-hmm. situation, mm-hmm. where Julian Edelman got involved, controlling the narrative. Mm-hmm. It's always going to come back to the big conglomerate wanting to and, control and, the narrative. Unless, unless you are an extremely vocal individual, despite what your lawyers may tell you to and to not do, if you are an extremely vocal individual, I'm gonna have this since y'all talking about me in oh, the yeah. public. Yep. And you gonna crucify me in the public? I'm gonna have conversation in the public. Right. I'm gonna bring it to the forum. Yep. Because that's the one thing that that is not the backbone of an athlete is controlled by a dollar now. And yeah. it takes a special individual right. to just say, all right, well, it is what it is. I ain't worried about the paper, I'm good. Mm-hmm. But listen. It comes down to the old saying, it's not about who's right, it's about what's, what's right. right. Absolutely. And if what is right is you standing up, especially for yourself, if mm-hmm. that's if it's gonna cost you this, yeah. Hey brother, if you if you can go to sleep knowing that you did anything you supposed to for you and your family, cool. Right. If you're comfortable with going to bed hoping that things turn out right, cool. cool. Live with everything that comes on both both spectrums. On both sides. You yeah. know what I mean? But you got to figure out which one you're comfortable with. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And, yeah. you know, you could be you could be vilified and yeah. you could be, you know, you're going to go through some or stuff. Or not. Yep. Is it worth it? That's the, that's the bottom line. That's Deshaun the key. Jackson hasn't really, I mean, Deshaun uh, Watson hasn't really said much. Right. Naturally, because legally they probably told him, yeah. we Cut don't the want gag you yeah, don't, This don't is say something none. different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This is something different. We can't. Right. To some degree, this man got to make a statement. Yeah. To some yeah, he's gonna degree, have to. he's going to have to speak up for himself. Self. Right. For himself. 
He yeah. said some uh, a few things early mm-hmm. on. You know, I'm gonna let you know. My, I'm gonna let things say. You know, some old yeah. something the generic, that down the generic stuff. Yeah, but bro, that ain't. Come on, man. Yeah, you you, you got to stand you up. You got to be yourself. on there like R. Kelly. Is I'm fighting for my life. That's right. <laughs> you hear me? Absolutely. You got to be on your R. Kelly. Ab- absolutely, listening. man. <laughs> so, with, with that being said, we will definitely uh, keep an eyes and ears on this situation. And as we get updates, or as I get updates, however we can put it together, we will definitely get you uh, caught up with what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, before we close out today, like I said, we didn't get to the Eagles talk, we didn't get to that pro act. But you can go to the page, and I post that stuff all the time, even though I bring it to you live on Mondays. I post a lot of that stuff anyway. You got a 17-game season that's approved by the owners. Um, The Eagles made a trade with the 49ers and the Dolphins to shake up the draft. They moved down to 12. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So we're just waiting on the draft to come up in a couple weeks to see how this plays out. A lot of speculation is that the Eagles will get one of the uh Alabama receivers. It's looking more like it may be closer to Jalen to I don't know if his name his first name is Jalen, but Waddle. Yeah, Waddle. The one that I, got I injured. Yeah, the one that got injured, which arguably a lot of people said if he hadn't got injured, he would have been the Heisman Trophy winner over his teammate and counterpart uh Devontae Smith. So we all talked about the Sixers and we got the two Sixers fans in the building today. Mm-hmm. Don't have a Lakers fan in here. Which is okay. But I'm sure he's tuned in. I'm sure he's watching. And we we fought. We suffered a little bit. And we got through the trade deadline. Sixers made what a lot of people have dubbed a weird, strange trade. um, A minimal trade. Mm -hmm. But I I like the trade uh, that they made. And bringing in a George Hill. Uh, I'm talking to other people, and I I mentioned to some people that looking at the Sixers' record, and this was maybe a week or two ago or right before the trade deadline when they only had about 12 or 13 losses at the time, I thought about it, and I, I realized what George Hill brings to the table. And I mentioned to somebody that with the addition of him, we could have arguably won another three to five of those at the time, 12 mm-hmm. losses that we had yeah, because of late-game situations. And that was one of the things. A lot of people were saying that we needed that stretch four or five, which I kind of agree with. But I also felt like we needed that point guard that was a true point guard, a true point guard within the NBA realm that could be the extension of Doc Rivers and Sam Cassell on the floor. Mm-hmm. No disrespect to Ben Simmons, but again, like I keep telling people, Ben Simmons is playing point guard. He's not a point guard. He didn't start playing point guard until he got to the NBA under Brett Brown. The point guard in the NBA is a very vital position. It's very hard to learn on the fly at the mm-hmm. top of, at, at the highest level of basketball in the world. Okay, so this addition of George Hill, I think, will help Ben Simmons uh, down the stretch and in the playoffs because you can play him with starters or you can play him with the bench and he can be Doc Rivers on the court for you. Uh they did get rid of Tony Bradley who a lot of people say oh we should have kept Tony Bradley. Tony Bradley was playing because of an injury. No discredit he was beginning to play well. 
but you know that old cliche saying scared money don't make no money make no money baby so you had to give up something uh people are still i guess in a tizzy or a little disappointed that we didn't get kyle lowry but you have to pay attention to what's going on with the sixers team right now some of the pieces that were being requested are key pieces in this particular team's situation the Matisse Thibels. Right. You are you can't give him up right now. Uh the same situation with just a little bit off track with Miami and Toronto, where Toronto was asking for Tyler Hero. No disrespect to Kyle, because I love Kyle. I love his game. He's the true Philadelphia guard. But as far as a business wise and progression, I don't feel like Miami was really comfortable with giving up a 21-year-old who figures to be four or five years into their plans as opposed to bringing in a 35-year-old point guard who is on somewhat of the downside, downslide of his career mm-hmm. to ask to have to pay him 40 to 50 million over the next 2 years. Right. So business wise, it wasn't yeah, it a real. Sense. It wasn't a real good look. So we'll see. Uh, hopefully, George. Hill, I saw him on the bench the other night. Hopefully, he's still working. Come back. So hopefully, he can get at least three to five games towards the end of the season to get him a little rhythm, get some um, continuity with the rest of the team moving into the playoffs. Um, the other thing I want to talk about with the Sixers is. The fact that now, even with Dwight Howard, we still need another big as far as a five. So we kind of have to push off of that stretch four, stretch five. We need a five. Uh, People keep asking me about the Brooklyn Nets um, and everything that they did. I'm telling people, and I'm telling people this from the very beginning, they don't scare me. Obviously, the moves that they made have them looking in their rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. And they've seen what the Sixers have done with arguably less talent Mm -hmm. than what they have. They bring in LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, Who else? They bring in Blake Griffin, who still don't hold a straw to Joel Embiid when he's in his, when he's got his mojo going. Yeah, most definitely. Still don't. So there's been talk about them changing the role of DeAndre Jordan. There's also talk um, in Lakerland with the addition of Andre Drummond now that they may be souring away from Mark Gasol. If it comes to still in the buyout market, things of that nature, if it comes to that, I wouldn't mind um, the Sixers at least kicking the tires on those two of those two guys get bought out as backups mm-hmm. because I uh, prefer Marcus. I would prefer Marcus because he gives you a little bit on both ends. Mm-hmm. DeAndre Jordan is more so one dimensional, but you know if you could pry one of those guys away, it would help. And I still think that they are active in the buyout market, inquiring about what could go on. The other thing I want to bring up, as far as with the situation with Joel Embiid. And Frank, I, I kind of need you some input if you tuned in. Or Damani if you tuned in, some Lakers fans. 
I saw something on TV, Chris Broussard, when Joel got injured. Chris Broussard immediately said that Joel Embiid is now out of the MVP race, which I disagree with. I figured he's going to be out a couple weeks, 10 games. And it's, the difference was, and where I'm going with this, is understanding with his injury, we knew that he, he would be tapped. We had a definite timetable for his return. So he was also advocating for LeBron um, being now the MVP. And then it turns around and LeBron gets hurt. The high ankle sprain. They use that word. Ryan's out indefinitely. Which means they don't know mm-hmm. if or when he's going to come back or what kind of shape he's going to be in when he comes back. They're already down those two stars, Anthony Davis and uh, LeBron James. We've seen how they slip. They slip from number two. I still think they're like at number four. With the way that those guys are playing, and then they get Andre Drummond, and he hurts his toe on his debut. <laughs> so they could ironically fall lower than four, maybe five, six in the West because teams that were right behind them, Portland and Denver, got significantly better. Okay? But the point I was wanted to make was there's a lot of hate for the Sixers just in general. And I, I get it. People, we came up with the trusted process with Sam Hinkie and all of that, yada, yada, yada. That's fine and well. But there always seems to be some negativeness involving the Sixers. Like I said, with Chris Broussard saying Joel Embiid should imme- is immediately out of the race. Where's that same energy, that same fire, now that LeBron is hurt? Mm-hmm. So if you're saying that, and like I said, the difference is we had a timetable, and Joel Embiid has returned for one game. He didn't play back-to-backs, which I understand. He's just coming back mm-hmm. after being out two weeks with no actual basketball physical contact. LeBron James has not returned yet. So could you say that LeBron James is out of the MVP race? He's definitely out of it. I mean, I would say so. Because like I said, Joel Embiid has returned. And we knew that at some point he was going to return before the end of the season. When they use that word indefinitely, in my opinion, it just means that they don't know. They have no idea. It was four to six, right? Mm -hmm. Four to six weeks around March when it happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What what has that turned into? Because there hasn't really been an an update on his progress. And either one of them for that matter. No. Well, you know, uh, where Anthony Davis is, it's just been there's no timetable for his return. Now, what could really be Tell you what's going on, bro. Could he be... Possibly far, far, far more injured than what is leading up to be. Mm-hmm. Get a high ankle sprain. Could it be your Achilles? Yep. You know, could it be? Because normally, that high ankle sprain has that connection to that tendon. So we don't mm-hmm. know. You know what I mean? I, remember, I, I know I watched a game when he grabbed his when he grabbed his leg. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That has some strain on it. So, yep. Okay, you gonna these dudes are professional athletes. He's gonna <laughs> find a find some way to stay in shape. That's fine. Yeah. We know it's not full speed, right? Uh, NBA speed or whatever. 
Does he have the ability to come back? We've seen him come back before from things. Right. Probably not so much of an injury like this. Like this, right. At this particular time in his career. Mm -hmm. But we do know this. Like you said about that energy for Joel Embiid, I have not seen that same energy talk about him not being... He, they still got his name up in the mix. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And he ain't touched the court. Absolutely. Don't seem like he's playing on touching one. What they what was their record? They they what like thirty one, something yeah. thirty one and sixteen. They lost like they lost about three or four straight. They, they like might be yeah they fourth or fifth now. Yeah, they like fourth fifth in the West. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, who the last last seed over there? Right, uh, I think the Grizzlies, yep. Memphis, or somebody. Yeah, they like five six games and, off they back. And it's stretched now. So yeah. it's ten teams now. So you got that playing. Yeah, like right. I mean, depending on how those injuries play out, and the healing of those injuries play out. They could be very close to being in a play-in game, in that play-in yeah. tournament. Yeah. Because, like we said, the Grizzlies are playing better. They're one of the youngest teams, but they're playing better. Mm -hmm. And you got Portland and Denver that got better through the trade market. Right. So we will definitely yeah, see. It's gonna be weird to see how this and and, and you know, and on the other side of the fence. You got a Sixers team that maintained first place. Right. Until just recently, where it's now tied with the Brooklyn Nets. Mm -hmm. Even with the additions that the Brooklyn Nets made. And, you know, it's been a lot of jokes about that. I even posted one where somebody said that they shined uh, got Shep from uh, above the rim. <laughs> and, and it's funny, they but. Got Tom yeah, they got Tom Shepard or whatever. You know, then they had these other memes with the other um, internet stuff where they're talking about Bill Russell was working out, so they might be calling him in too. So, like I said, that just leads me to believe that they are heavily looking in their rearview mirror. And all three of their stars have missed time. I don't know if KD's back yet or when he'll be back, but he's been out since before the All-Star break. Um, for about a week or so, James Harden was pretty much pushing himself up to a leading candidate for MVP. Now he's down with the hamstring injury. It's Kyrie Irving. And I've also talked to other people, you know, the addition of LaMarcus Aldridge. Yeah, okay. But the other thing that I think is going to really, really come down to the wire with the Brooklyn Nets is what is the true injury and how healthy will KD be when he comes back? And the fact that you now have two players in your backcourt, James Harden and Kyrie Irving, who are ball dominant. Okay. One who has won a championship. And from, in my opinion, was a huge part in that Cleveland championship. I think he won that championship for Cleveland, although LeBron got the MVP. I still think that Kyrie won that championship for Cleveland. Mm -hmm. If you got James Harden, who's just an amazing scorer, but has never won a championship. So at some point, although they've been somewhat coexisting so far, at some point, me knowing or me feeling like I understand or have an understanding of Kyrie Irving as the basketball player, there may come a point where these two guys' egos are going to clash. Eventually. Like I said, it hasn't happened yet. But again, 
I just feel like that because, like I mentioned, there's one that has been through the play. Both of them have been to the playoffs, but there's one that has gotten to the mountaintop. It was a huge part in getting to the mountaintop. The other one has not reached the mountaintop yet. We can kind of see it unfolding. Yeah, it's kind of like written on the wall. You know what I'm saying? And and one of the main reasons why we can kind of see it is because they haven't had an opportunity to kind of work through it because of injuries. Right. You know, had we been able to see that, we could we our conversation would probably be different. Like, yo, it seemed like they figured it out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It seemed like they kind of like got a little rhythm on mm-hmm. what's going. What we're going to go with the hot hand, whatever the situation would be. Right. We have not seen it. So, so technically, it's going to seem like we're going to see yeah. it in the playoffs. Yep. Yeah. Will it? And will it? Will it be? Will it be some sort of uh, imbalance, or will mm-hmm. it mesh real fast? We don't know. Right. You know what I mean. Which normally that's what the regular season is for, for you to work through those situations. Mm-hmm. That way we we're a little more comfortable with it when, when we get, get into the, the postseason. Yeah. And I think that's one of the advantages I feel like the Sixers have. And in a small was, way, yeah, in a small was. way, not that I wish Joel was hurt, but in a small way, that injury was somewhat of a blessing for the rest of the mm-hmm. team. And it shows. Um, like you said, the disrespect on Tobias Harris. Who carried us through that stretch? Yeah, he did. When Joel was out, you know, mm-hmm. um, definitely, in my opinion, should have been an All Star. Oh, definitely, definitely. should have been an All Star, but that's neither here nor there. But I think that's again, like I said, that's one of the advantages I think the Sixers have, where these guys had to play without their main focal point on the offensive end and pretty much on the defensive end. And they sustained. They went four and two on a somewhat rough uh, West Coast trip. Right. Okay. And we've got one of the toughest schedules down the stretch. We got another four game stretch coming up. I mean, we got Boston tomorrow. Tomorrow night. Yeah. You know. And then we still got in there. I think we got we got to play Brooklyn again. We got a back to back with the Bucks. Yeah. You know. So we've got a tougher schedule. But I think all of that time, that stretch, that two week stretch that he was out. And the way that they played and came together, you see the difference in the coaching. You see the difference in the players where, in my opinion, they now have a better understanding of their roles. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot goes, a lot of credit, I feel like, goes to Shake Milton because now he's a lot more comfortable mm-hmm. in his role. He can play a little bit of point guard, but he can get his own shot. So that's yeah. what he's put in position to do. Right, it, it, that and that's what—that's well. what I think he was put in the position, the correct position, right now, to be that particular player, because as you as you have seen, he's played on the court with Ben, and then right. he's played without Ben. Right. So that's going to help. And like I said, the the coaching staff, the different coaching staff, has found the correct roles for the roster that is um in front of them. You look at Tobias Harris who was arguably having his best season under Doc Rivers with the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Now he's reunited with Doc, and you see the difference from, in him from this year to last year. You see the, the huge difference. So we will definitely see, and like I said, with the addition of George Hill, the things that he can do, you can play him with the starters, you can play him with the bench players. And you have that extension now, the point guard, 
where you can play him with Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons can still be your main facilitator, mm-hmm. but now you have that late in the game where you can say, George Hill, you control it. Mm-hmm. And you've got three po- – if you're playing, he's playing with the starters, you've got three post players. Right. you got three options. And he's a threat to score himself. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It's not like he's just going to be out there. So it's going to help. Because he can that's knock, right. knock it he, down. He's going to help. Yeah, he's definitely going You know, it's just unfortunate that, you know, and I think the Sixers are doing the right thing by taking every precaution and not rushing him into the fold. Mm-hmm. So we are definitely going to see how this plays out. And like I said, I, I don't fear Brooklyn. Even though they made the additions they made, I, I don't fear them because, like Baldy just mentioned and we both mentioned, it, it those egos with those two guards at some point, it's not going to be as nice as it is right now. Right. It, it, it's, it's, you can see it almost right now. Like when the Sixers are, have split so far with the Nets, one game apiece, they beat them with James Harden. Didn't have Kyrie, didn't have KD, but they beat them with James Harden. Okay, they beat us with nobody. Mm-hmm. Which, touche. Right. One and one. And we got to play y'all again. So hopefully we'll be at full squad and they'll be at full squad and we'll do what we need to do mm-hmm. and, and to beat them. But, again, they, they don't scare me. Um, I think the coaching staff is better. you got a first-time head coach in Steve Nash, and he's put some people together. But you've got guys that have worked together on that Sixers bench as far as the coaching staff, and you've got some coaches in there that have worked with individual players on that Sixers roster. So another advantage I think the Sixers have Mm -hmm. in that situation. But we talk about that, and then we get back to the West to wrap up, and you talk about that LeBron James and that Lakers situation, and Frank always says he didn't think they can win it again with AD, without without AD or LeBron. Well, right now you're without both of them. Mm -hmm. You're slipping. And Utah run y'all kind of. And Utah, Utah one of the the smallest markets in the the NBA, has the best record in the league and is running, almost running away with that conference. And Phoenix is right there. So you're looking at, unfortunately, Lakers fans, you could possibly fall into that play-in tournament. I mean, I'm not wishing that on you. But I'm just calling the spade a spade and see what's seeing what's going on the with teams in the West. Mm-hmm. It's a possible, it's a crapshoot, but it's mm-hmm. a possibility. So, with that being said, folks, we wrap up another great installment of Sports Rap Podcast. Yes, sir. I'm glad yes, to have sir. my partner in the building with me, with some building. different insight as opposed to you guys just having me and listening to my insight the entire time, which is always a great thing because I know. You appreciate my insight. You appreciate both of our insight. But it's just so much better when the both of us are here. Yeah, man. I miss it. It's just so much better. Um, We agree a lot, but we also give you points from different perspectives Mm -hmm. and bring them to the table and mesh them together like we do. So, again, we appreciate you all for tuning in. Uh, I'm going to give you some schedules for today. We start off with the men's. National title game, Baylor against Gonzaga at 9 p.m. on CBS. NHL, Senators are at the Jets, Oilers and the Canadians. 
Philadelphia Flyers are in action against the Boston Bruins. The Golden Knights and the Blues, the Avalanche and the Wild, Maple Leafs and the Flames, Coyotes and Kings. In the NBA, the Knicks are at the Nets. The Kings are at the Timberwolves. The Pistons are at the Thunder. The Cavs are at the Spurs. Jazz and the Mavs, the Wizards, Raptors, Suns, Rockets. Definitely we'll have an eye on that Subway series there, the Subway matchup, Knicks and Nets. Nets coming off a loss uh, to the Chicago Bulls. And Sixers also coming off a loss to the Grizzlies, which kept us tied for first place in the Eastern Conference. Finally, moving into Major League Baseball. Again, shout out to the Phillies for taking the sweep in that season opening series against the Braves. You've got Twins and Tigers, Braves and Nationals, Blue Jays, Rangers, Royals, Indians, Orioles, Yankees, Pirates, Reds, Cards, Marlins. The Mets are in town to face up the Phillies, the Rays and the Red Sox, the Brewers and the Cubs, the Astros and the Angels, Dodgers and the A's, the Giants and the Padres, and closing out the White Sox and the Mariners. You know where you can find us each and every Monday and all week on social media. The group page, Sports Red Podcast on Facebook. You can also catch me, Instagram and Twitter, at SportsRap underscore D. You can check the webpage, SportsRapRadio.com. The podcast will go up either tomorrow or Wednesday on iHeart, Google, Apple, and most of your podcast outlets. Just search SportsRap Podcast. Also, video will go up on YouTube uh, one day this week, SportsRap TV. Make sure you get over there, press the subscribe button. Hit the like button on the videos that you like. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Leave us some comments. Tell us how we're doing. We like to hear that kind of stuff. And that's about it for me, Baldy. Uh, once again, you can catch me at Ball75 on Instagram, Aaron Baldy Moore on Facebook. And right back here next Monday on Heat 100 Radio, heat100radio.com, sports rap. Taking you out one more chance. Enjoy the 67 potentially high today, the great weather. It is springtime. We are out of the cold. It's Monday. Be great on purpose. We'll see you next Monday and all week on social media.